0: You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. We are working through the whole Bible in a course of however many years. And right now we are specifically working through wisdom literature. And so I want to ask a quick question. You can turn and tell your neighbor, but what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And I'm going to give you 60 seconds and you can turn to the person nearest to you and share it. And if you don't know... That's, okay, Siri doesn't know. So, 60 seconds. Tell them the best piece of advice you have ever received. I have everything. All right, if you have some beautiful piece of wisdom that you have not been able to share with the people around you. Hold it close. You can do it at the end. But it's such an appropriate time of year to be having these conversations and even to be working through the wisdom books. I was saying to Perla this morning, this really hit me in the heart because Beau graduated from preschool, which isn't like I just feel old really more than anything. Um, It was great that he graduated, but it's the middle of graduation season. And so we're beginning to celebrate all of these kids and young adults and even adults who are graduating from all the different layers of all the different things. And it's a time of year where we focus a lot on wisdom, right? Because the two things most graduates are gonna get is one, a celebration of their accomplishments. Hopefully we're honoring how much work it takes to graduate and then the other thing you're gonna find in every graduation card, in every graduation speech, from any age, from literally my son's pre-K graduation all the way through people getting masters and whatnot, is some bit of wisdom or advice. I feel like it's a prerequisite. If you're gonna speak at someone's graduation, you have to give them something, and the idea is they'll hold on to it forever. I can tell you, I don't remember a whit of my college graduation. I literally found a picture the other day and was like, who even spoke? I don't know, whatever. But in theory, you wanna be giving people a bit of wisdom for the road ahead. And I actually think that that's a really beautiful thing because if you think about why we give people advice, it's usually because we've walked through something before them and we want to see them do better than we did. We wanna see them learn from our mistakes or we wanna see them take a better road. It actually, advice typically comes from, not always, but it typically comes from this desire to see the people around us thrive. And that's like a really beautiful, really humanizing thing in a world where we don't always treat each other super well. Um, And so I was just thinking about the beauty of people writing graduation cards and making speeches and just looking out across young folks predominantly and saying, I want to see you thrive. I want to see you become who God created you to be. I want to see you excel in this thing called life. And it's interesting because that's exactly what wisdom literature is in the Bible, it's three long books that you could just call a really long graduation speech. In fact, if you have to write a card and you don't know what to say, go find one of them. Don't recommend Ecclesiastes. It's a little cynical. Maybe start in Proverbs. Just skip Job at this point. They don't, they'll learn about suffering early enough. They, they, they're humans. Um, but they were books that were specifically written to say, this is how you're good at life. This is how to be good at life. This is how to navigate this complex, crazy, chaotic world because there are a lot of highs and lows. There's a lot of mountains and valleys and you're going to need a little bit of wisdom if you want to do it well because if we're honest, most of the time it feels like we're just kind of flying through it. And so what it is, I want to be very clear about this, especially because we're going to stick in Proverbs through July. Proverbs is the accumulated wisdom of God's people. It's a tradition that launched with Solomon and then was carried on. People kept adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. But it's not promises from God. We have to be very careful when we read things, even like Psalms. But Proverbs, if you read it, it sounds very, very black and white, very do this, don't do that, and this is what's going to happen. And what it is is probability. Like 85% of the time, that is what's going to happen. But we have to realize that there is a crazy, chaotic world we live in. And so that's not always going to be the case. And so as we're reading through wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes and Job account for that reality. And Proverbs is more of the like, if everything were perfect, this is exactly how the world would work. So you have to read the three as a trilogy. You can't actually pick one and then the other and then the other and just sort of separate them. They're meant to be read as a unit so that you have a clear picture of this is how to honestly do well at life. And Proverbs in that group was written specifically as a guidebook for young people, which is interesting. It was meant, it was you know the graduation book, if you will, where people were saying, we're old, (laughs) we've lived a long time, we know that things are not always perfect. This is how you have the best possible chance of living well in this world. In fact, Proverbs 1 verses two through four say, their purpose, the purpose of proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. And so, as these all these thoughts were kind of mulling around in the wise people of Israel, they basically wrote the bulk of the text into pithy two-liners. I heard Barb said, oh, Barb, tell me yours again. About time. Yes, what is it? Oh, like <laughs> Something about taking time, getting ready for age, that's what she was saying to me, and it was like a little one-liner, and it was a perfect thing, and of course, mom, like, I don't know, I remembered it for a minute. Um, but the reality is we have a lot of these pithy two-liners. You can think of a bunch. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. A penny saved is a penny earned. There's, there's so many things we say that, and Proverbs is written in that tradition. And because we're not Jewish and we don't read Hebrew, most of us, we miss a lot of the fun alliteration and the rhyming because we're reading it in English and it kind of strips some of that away. But the point is they wanted young people to remember these things. Like we remember an apple a day keeps the the doctor away or the golden rule, which I think was like in every classroom I had growing up. And so Proverbs was written to give people a really good sense of like, okay, how do we live well in this world? And then Ecclesiastes and Job take into account all the crisis that happens in between. But realistically, all three of the books come back together to say that the best chance we have to experience a good, healthy, thriving life here on earth is to follow the wisdom of God that we find in Proverbs. There's a lot of advice out there that's gonna say, I can teach you how to be successful. If I have one more crypto enthusiast, try and like message me on Facebook or Instagram about their ideas. Um, you know, People are always presenting wisdom and and things that they think are gonna help you survive. And God says, if you want the best chance in this world, the best opportunity, you're gonna find it in the book of Proverbs. It's not always going to work out exactly the way it sounds, but most of the time, this is what you want if you want to live a good life. And so Proverbs is quite literally like a blueprint. It's a foundation level. It says, this is how you build something worth living, something that you want. And the interesting thing is, if you build it according to Proverbs, it's not just going to be good for you, it's going to be good for the world around you, your family, your friends, your community, everyone. And so we're going to dive in. I'm going to cover the first nine chapters this morning, and then you're going to have the joy of the preaching team working you through very topical messages in July. But Holy Spirit, we are excited for today. And I am just thankful to be in your wisdom and I pray that you would pour it out. You tell us to ask and you'll give it. And so God, we ask for your wisdom to come and move and be part of us today. And I also pray that baby Ash would settle in Jesus name, amen. The central idea of Proverbs is quite literally that wisdom is the foundation of a good life. And I wanna define both of those things before we even get into it because the reality is both of those are pretty arbitrary. I could say wisdom, and you're immediately going to have an opinion on what you think wisdom is. I can say a good life, and you're like, oh, well, I could define that according to what I think. But God has two very specific definitions that we need to understand if we're going to get through the book of Proverbs the way it's intended. So wisdom is the Hebrew word, chokmah. And to the Jews, it's not just intellectual knowledge. Like, we might think wisdom, and we might think all the things we learn in books, and you know, academics, whatever, and that's not what wisdom was to the Jewish people. To them, it was skilled or applied knowledge that lended itself to the creation, the design, the development of something good and whole and beautiful. So to them, it was a living force. It wasn't just this stagnant thing that you could grasp and accumulate and tangibly take. Okay, Chris. It was something that you kind of partnered with, and by partnering with it, you were able to go and make something good. And the first example we have of this, just from the very beginning, is actually how God created the world. So we're told in Proverbs 3 and in Proverbs 8 that God used wisdom to make the world and to make it good. Uh, 319 says, by wisdom the Lord founded the earth, and by understanding he created the heavens. And then it elaborates in in Proverbs 8, and it's important to note that the author of Proverbs personified wisdom as a woman. I always laugh about that a little bit. (laughs) But he personified wisdom as a woman. So you'll hear wisdom speaking as if it's a person in the book of Proverbs. And in 8, she's doing that and saying, The Lord formed me, wisdom, from the beginning before he created anything else. The Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else else I was appointed in ages past at the very first before the earth began. And then it goes on in verses 27 to 29. She says, I was there when he established the heavens. I was there when he put boundaries around the sea. I was there when he set the clouds above and the waters below. And it gets to verse 30 and wisdom says, I was the architect at God's side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And I love this last verse. And how happy I was with the world he created how I rejoiced with the human family because wisdom was a gift that God created and he created wisdom that he gave it, he used it to create the world and he made the world good. He made the world beautiful. He made the world whole. And he says, I have put this actual wisdom, I have embedded it into everything that I've made so that you can keep tapping into it so that you can keep making the world good. Going back to that mandate that God gave Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful, multiply, bring Eden out into the world, right? We talked about this a couple, maybe a, maybe a month ago, where God made Eden and he said, this is what my perfection looks like. Extend it over all of creation. This harmony, this unity, this peace. And so the only way humanity could do that was by partnering with Hachmah, by tapping into God's wisdom so that we could keep making things that are good and beautiful. We could keep fulfilling that stewardship mandate that God has gifted us with. Whether that's stewarding our families, stewarding creation, stewarding other people and being a good community member, whatever it is, it all comes back to tapping in chokmah if we wanna do it good, if we wanna do it beautiful, if we wanna create something worthwhile out of it. Because that also lends to then saying, well, what actually is good in God's eyes? And to answer that, I wanna reverse Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. In those verses, God says, these are the seven things I detest or I hate or I loathe. And so I'm like, well, if we just flip it, then it should be the things you love and are good and are pure before you. And so what God defines as good is humility, honesty, justice, integrity, purity, righteousness, peacemaking, compassion. These are the things that God said, this is what I created the world. That's what I put into the world. That's how I designed it. And that's what I want you to do. That's the same thing I want my humanity to represent and reflect because that's my heart. That's God's heart. And it's funny because if you look at that in Galatians five twenty two to 23, where we hear about what the fruit of the spirit is, it's so similar. I have it in the Amplified. It says, the fruit of the spirit, the result of God's presence within us is love, which is unselfish concern for others. It's joy, inner peace, patience, which is not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, these are the things that God calls good. These are the things that, these are God. This is God. These are his characteristics. This is who he is. And this is the same thing he's invited us to be. And he says, you can be this, but you have to actually be united with me if you want to be able to tap into it. You know, we can't be good without God. Right, The world wants to be good without God. I think we hear that all the time. Like, I'm a good person, and it's true. We might do some things nicely, but we can't actually be good without God. It's through his presence with us that he gives us the ability to experience these characteristics, to become these characteristics, and then to go and build good things out of it. To go and build peace, to go and build compassion, to go and bring good to our community, to local politics, to our school district, to our neighborhood, right? Our neighborhood has gone through, I feel like it's always a bit chaotic there. And God says, you are here to change the atmosphere simply by showing up and following my spirit by listening to me so that you can create something that brings hope and life to your neighbors. And through that, we've just tried to be a living testimony so that our neighbor across the street who's having a, a bit of a difficult pregnancy, whenever we're out, she's like, let us us pray for her. And she lets us bless her because we've built that rapport and we're able to help God do whatever God wants to do or just here as his vessels. And so wisdom is the foundation Chokmah is the foundation to build all of these good things, to continue investing and to continue being good creators, good stewards of what we have. But to access wisdom, which is the primary question we have today, is not as simple as just reading the book of Proverbs, right? Because it's, wisdom isn't just the accumulation of understanding, it's applied knowledge, it's skill, it's action-oriented and in order for us to be action-oriented, we have to go beyond just filling our minds with stuff. We have to go beyond study, and we actually have to begin the practice of yielding. And this is where Proverbs gets really uncomfortable. So yeah, I'm going to say this message, and then I'm going to run away for nine No, no. Um, in Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And it's important to note that fear is not I'm trembling and scared of God, like I'm afraid he's going to hurt me. It's reverence. It's honor. It's recognizing that God is greater than I am. It's a humility practice. It's a, it's a posture of saying you are your God and I am not. And so I am giving you awe. I'm giving you worship. I'm giving you my reverence. I'm honoring you above everything else. And when I do that, that's what makes wisdom accessible to me cannot get wisdom any other way than yielding my heart, bowing my knee, surrendering myself to the Father. Because wisdom isn't a task, it's a moral mindset, right? Where I'm acknowledging that I, as a follower of God, do not get to define good and evil. That's what Adam and Eve wanted. That's what the enemy tempted them with in the garden. He says, you get to know good and evil for yourselves. You get to be judges. You get to be the judge and the jury, really, And Adam and Eve wanted that. They wanted the control. They wanted to define good and evil on their terms. And that's what humanity continues to do. And God says, if you want a good life, if you want to tap into my wisdom to build something worthwhile, you have to give that control back to me. I define good and evil. I created the world. I know what is best and what is worst. You have to trust me with that. And until you actually say yes to that and you show, you know, you actually bow and and stop trying to micromanage it, you won't be able to tap into my wisdom. You might learn bits and pieces of it, but the actual complete application of it is going to be outside of our ability to grasp. And so as I learn to submit myself, as I learn to yield, because it is a process, it grants me access to the blueprint that God wants to give me and he wants to give it to us In James 1, verses 5 through 6, we're specifically told, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. God's not up there like, I'm going to hoard this. I want them to be really confused about how to live a good life. I'm going to be sneaky. God's like, I want to give it away freely. In fact, in Proverbs, wisdom says, I walk all over the world shouting to people, I have what you need, and I will give it to you if you just ask me. But we have to read that second line that comes after verse five where James says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Because here we have to realize that if we're not yielded to God, then what we're trying to do is just accumulate a bunch of different types of wisdom. Maybe we're looking a little bit here in the Bible. We want a little bit of what God says. But I'm also going to ask my grandma who does voodoo. I want to get a little bit of her opinion. Or maybe I'm going to like consult the tarot cards too, or my Ouija board. Or maybe I'm going to get a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of this. And the reality is the only wisdom that is going to bring us to a good life is God's. That's a hard thing to hear, right? But it's true because God is saying, I am the creator of wisdom. I made it before I made anything else. And I wanna give you that same wisdom that I used to make the world so that you can make something good. But in order for you to have that, you have to trust me. You have to trust that I know best because if you try and grab a little bit of everything, you're gonna be left with a whole lot of nothing because my wisdom is not always going to line up with what you hear all over the world. Some of it might sound a little similar, but it's not always mine. And mine is the springboard to a good life. I will not and do not stand on par with anything else. I am God alone. I am the most high. And so everything else is lesser. And if we don't, if we don't truly believe that, honor that, live that, then I would venture to say that we may not actually be disciples of Jesus. And this is, like I said, Proverbs, ooh, It's a little bit of a gut punch, but it's not anything that Jesus himself didn't say because in John 14, 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He'll he'll obey what I say. He'll do what I ask and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is very clear in the gospels that to follow him means to completely surrender your life to him, which means I don't let anything else dictate my decisions, my lifestyle, anything other than God alone. And there, it's not any, it can't be any more confusing than that. It can't be any more plainer than that. Like, If we want to follow Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's not a little bit. It's not a little, hey, and a little here. Jesus says, you're either always with me or you're against me. And at one point he goes and he says, a lot of people are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you because you wanted to follow me on your terms. You wanted to follow me the way that felt good for you, that felt comfortable for you, that fit into the things that you were doing in your life. Instead of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, and now my life is entirely yours, and if you want to flip it upside down, inside out, backwards, and one side over, I will say yes to that. I will surrender my opinions, my desires, my relationships, my finances, my sexuality, my identity, my goals and dreams, all of that goes to you because I'm making you the king of my life. Remember, we talked about this during Baptism Sunday. My citizenship is no longer to me. It is to King Jesus. And that could sound really scary. It should sound intimidating to all of us until we recognize that God's good He's so good that he is not like a manipulator who's gonna use and abuse your total surrender. He is going to lead you to the best possible life you can live in this crazy, chaotic world. Doesn't mean it won't have pain or suffering. Doesn't mean that those things aren't a part of what we experience per Job and Ecclesiastes. But what it does mean is that I am safest, I am healthiest, I am freest, I am able to live the best possible life on this earth if my life is totally and completely in the hands of God, because he creates good and only good. And that's what I want in my life, in my parenting, in my marriage, all of it. And so we need to hear Jesus's words to us through Proverbs and through his physical, actual, real words, literal words in the Gospels, um, where he says, if you want to follow me, you have to go completely there. He tells the rich young ruler, and and this this passage is so poignant because you can feel the heart of God here. This young man comes up, he's got lots of money, and he says, God, how do I get into heaven? Jesus, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus says, just do all the commandments. Follow the commandments. He says, I have since my youth. I've always followed you, Jesus. And looking at the man, starting in verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for him. This man came seeking wisdom, right? This man came to Jesus saying, I want to know how to live a good life. That's what he's asking Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hide it. He doesn't joke about it. He tells him, he says, he has compassion on the man. He's like, I'm going to tell you then exactly how to do it. And he says, go and sell all your possessions and give money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And Jesus said, you want me, but you want me on your terms. And Jesus isn't mad at him. He's not ashamed or any of the emotions we may feel. He has genuine love for this man because he wants his creation to live into the fullness of what he created us for. He wants this man to know how to live a good life. He tells him point blank. There's no riddle. There's no parable here. He tells him point blank. This is how you live a good life. Surrender every part of yourself and follow me. And the man says, I can't do that. I'm not willing to do that. Jesus genuinely loves us. He does. He genuinely wants his best for your life. And his best will be good. It won't mean that it's always easy, but it will lead you to thriving, to flourishing, to to being filled up, to having peace and joy as your strength to knowing that you are chosen and valued and wanted. But in order for us to actually experience that, we have to yield. We have to give him total control. Proverbs in multiple places in these first nine chapters says, don't rely on yourself. You can't rely on yourself. And in, in chapter three, verse seven to eight says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom It said, fear the Lord and turn away from all evil, and then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Um, And in Proverbs 8, 35 to 36, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord, but those who miss me injure themselves, and all who hate me love death. I think God uses such clear and almost scary language not to terrify us, but to tell us the severity of the choice that we have to make, because that's what it comes down to. Ultimately, yielding is a choice. God doesn't coerce us into it. It's us saying, I am going to give you my life. I don't always even have to like that. (laughs) There are days when he's going to ask you to do things, and you're like, I don't, I don't want to yield that, but I'm going to, because that's where life comes from. I'm going to live in the discomfort, like, Imani was saying this morning during worship, God's bringing us places. It doesn't always feel good, but we know that health is coming. It's attached to God moving us through surrender. That's the gift. That's the beauty of it. And so the purpose of Proverbs is to help us develop practical skills to live well in God's world and to keep building good. But it means that we have to submit. We have to submit. If we're going to read the next 10 to 31, those chapters, if we're going to read those chapters, and we actually want what's in there, we want the probability of peace and a healthy family and a healthy being and a, and a, and a good idea about our career, and we don't want to be, you know, just strapped down with debt, and we don't want to do all of those things, then we actually have to do what God is saying. We can't just read it, put it on our wall like a sticker and think that it's all going to make itself work out. There's action. Wisdom is applied knowledge. And so how do we practice yielding? Because the nice thing about it is we're going to, when we say, yes, God, I want to yield, it's a journey. <laughs> we are not always going to be right there with everything laid out in front of him. Like I started following Jesus and he's like, you need to yield your relationship with me. You're, you're, you know, You're with somebody who doesn't you're not going on the same path faith-wise. And I was like, okay. It took me seven years to yield, right? Like God was talking to me very clearly like the rich young ruler. And I'm like, I don't want to give it up. I don't. And And I'm scared. What's going to happen if I give up this relationship? And he kept saying, you're never going to have health in your life here until you do it. And he was very kind. He was very gentle. I never felt like God was yelling at me. You know, he wasn't scolding me. He just kept saying, this is the invitation on the table. If you want what's best, if you want what's best, if you want what's best, until I finally felt so uncomfortable by not yielding that I said yes, ended the relationship, and walked through I walked through a very interesting period of time where it was like, God, show me who I am. I went through healing, counseling, a number of different things, and through that was prepared in a new way to actually be married, um, and to be healthy in that relationship with Tim, which I wasn't before I met him. I wasn't even all the way through our dating. It was really the Lord just continuing to show me how to yield and surrender so I could have a healthy, have a healthy marriage. And so how do we practice that? Please don't wait seven years like me. <laughs> if you can learn anything from my story, do it the first time he asks. But the first thing we have to do is, what does God say about it? right? If he's putting something on the table, God, I want to get... Out of debt, or "I want to get healthy," or "I want a healthy relationship," or "I want to know how to parent my kids," right? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. God has the wisdom for that. What does He say about it? Go to the book, go to Jesus. Always start with Jesus. He's the perfect image of the invisible God. So you started there. and now that you've read about Jesus, if you need more clarification, if you're still looking more, just look it up topically in the Bible. What does the Bible say about this thing? What are the stories I read about it, both positive and perhaps negative? There's some negative parenting stories all throughout the Bible that teach us very valuable lessons about what not to do. Read through and understand, and then ask him, God, how do I honor what you've said to me here? What is the applied skill here? What does it look like to yield in this thing What does obedience to you look like with my finances, with my identity, with my sex life, with my checkbook, with my career? Like, let's be honest. We have questions about all of these things, and God wants to talk to us. Nothing is taboo to him. He wants to be able to help us live a healthy life. I often—no, never mind. I won't go there. We'll save that one for when I give you a disclaimer. We're going to talk about Song of Songs when I get back little people will ask, make sure they're not in the room. But think about the things that he would protect us from if we followed him in regards to all of that. Think about the very literal ramifications that we would not be dealing with in our lives today. And that's not a place of shame. It's to say, God really does know best. And we can tap into that. And that's, that's the good thing is we're never too old to tap into it. If you have breath in your body, you can do this. That's the beauty of God. He's like, I'm still here. Wisdom is still waiting. So once you have done that, then the last bit is, do I need support to follow this through? I needed counseling after I broke up with that person that I was with for 10 years. I needed to like, have accountability in my life to make sure that I didn't just like, run back, to make sure that I didn't just repeat with the next person, to make sure that I actually grew. And it's okay to recognize that. God says, I'll give you wisdom. You don't have to live in an echo chamber, though. You don't have to be alone in the application of it. You can be around other people who are going to encourage you, pray for you, give you safe boundaries. So that's the practice of yielding. You can jot it down, screenshot it, we can send it to you. But I want to talk briefly before I land the plane about the power of yielding. Because there's something really dynamic about this. In fact, it might become a sermon all into itself at some point. Wisdom is a powerful witness we need to be very careful because I think we have lost sight of this, particularly in our country. We see a lot of people talking about how do we change America and make America like God. And it's not through power. It, there are times where God puts people in positions, but I want to be clear that Jesus' model was not legislation. It wasn't political. It wasn't even authority. Jesus was a servant. And he was a servant that people flocked to because what was he full of? God's wisdom, God's compassion. He was building good things everywhere he went. And I think we have almost forgotten that and traded wisdom for this like, I need to make my, my God's will known. And he says, you can all the time because if we become people who yield to God, he fills us with his wisdom And wisdom becomes an influence because people start to look for you because they know there's something different about how you live your life. They see the fruit of it. I can't tell you how many people go to April. And it's not like you said at the beginning of all of your grief, I'm going to handle this with wisdom, but you continue to trust God and yield to him. And so people keep going to you. They keep looking to you. Perla, I can't tell you the amount of parenting wisdom and she shares it and it's just like so gentle. And you're like, that was like a gold nugget. And she's like, I was just telling you a story about my kids. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm writing it down and tacking it away from when my boys get to that point as they like run through. Um, I'm not going to share any of her stories because I didn't ask any of her permission. But if you want to know how this looks in the workplace, go talk to Johanna. People go to her to ask her questions about faith. Has she walked around with stickers on her wall or poster board saying, I love Jesus? No. But she continues to show up with his wisdom, and people respect her, and it allows her to change the atmosphere because they're opening the door. She's not battling. She's simply stepping through the door that unbelievers are opening for her so that she can walk through. And so I think we have to recognize that not only is our life going to be better if we yield, but our witness our ability to change the world, to really influence the atmosphere, our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, if we actually want to see that change, it's gonna come through us yielding and allowing God's wisdom to become our foundation. And then people are gonna seek us out and we're not gonna have to claw our way to change, but instead they're gonna say, wow, I wanted to know and you told me. And maybe because of how we live our lives, they'll actually yield themselves to Jesus. That can be our prayer. Things are never going to be perfect. You are never going to avoid all the pain, uncertainty, hardship of life. Job and Ecclesiastes want to make sure that you know that. But what Proverbs tells you is that even though that is going to happen, the best possible opportunity we have to be full of peace and joy and gentleness and grace is by yielding ourselves to God. And if we do that and we trust his wisdom over ourselves, I love you. There is an opportunity for us to just exist well. And I think most of us would say at the end of the day, I just, that's what I want for myself and for my people, whoever those people are. So we're going to pray. If you want to stand with me, we're going to move into ministry time.